Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Tales to Terrify, Crime City Central, Protecting Project Pulp, and the all-new Far-Fetched Fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. This is the Starship Sova, everybody. Welcome. Hello and welcome to show 381. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. First off, before we get into anything, my complete apologies for missing last week. Man, I was hit with man flu, like something not right. Normally, I'm, I'm, well, normally I'm a big baby anyways when it comes to kind of man flu. It just kind of, I just can't seem to kind of get over it. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's the worst thing. I mean, how trivial is that? But it just seems to knock us. But last, last week's, man, it, I had it for about four or five days and it, it put us to bed. It put us off food. This is how bad normally nothing puts us off food. It put us off food for two days. I think I lost nearly, well, over half a stone in weight. Oh, man, just horrible feeling. So, I just, like you see, I just, oh, I was just couldn't even, you know what I mean? I was kind of just going through some sort of like kind of sleep days, haze kind of thing. And I just couldn't, I couldn't manage it. So my apologies. We are back fighting fit and I'm back on me food, you like to know. So I'll tell you what's coming in today's show. Lots to tell you about in today's show. First up, don't forget this show is sponsored by Octagon Technology. 20 years in the industry supporting IT. Wow, how cool is that? Octagon Technology can help your business by supplying a managed offsite backup of your essential data to services located in the UK. They are able to supply as well hosted exchange servers for solicitors and legal firms in the UK who need to use the criminal justice secure email. That's a big, big thing. Big thank you to Diane and Clive. Thank you so much. And like I say, we've got lots to talk about in the show. But I'll tell you what's coming up. We First off, we have a promo by our very own Amy H. Sturgis. Amy's taking another class this summer, and we've got a little promo to play. Well, when I say Amy, it's Dr. Listen, it's Dr. Amy H. Sturgis now. She's got a doctor's hat on. Then we're going to play the main fiction. Oh, we've got two stories by Sylvia Spurk Wrigley. Main fiction is a foregone conclusion, and the little short fiction is Moon Cup. One's narrated by our very own Diane Severson and narrated by Ian Sewell as well. How cool is that? Like I said, we've got another couple of things to announce. We've also got This Burning World by Jeff Lane, a promo. Jeff's been a fantastic narrator and a, God, a fantastic writer as well. Jeff's got a new follow-on 
story, this burning world, and we've got like a little promo to play for that as well. And I would like you, I would, now listen, I want you to go over there. Do you know what I mean? You kind of, all right, 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 there's links now, they're all on your kind of phones and everything, so you can find out all these links. So please do pop over there. And one more bit of news. Hopefully by the time this hits the airwaves on Wednesday, there will be the very first YouTube program out by my good self. And I'm entitled it, The Best Ever Science Fiction Short Story. There we go. Come over and watch it. Watch your captain there in all his glory. Your face for radio. (laughs) It would be lovely to see you over there. Like I say, subscribe, and hopefully I'm going to try and get these out. I'm going for a kind of soft start, but hopefully I'm going to build, like, ramp up to get two a week done, see how it goes there. And a big thank you to everyone that's kind of, Scott, who's kind of done all the graphics and everything like that, who built up all them for us, and for Kenny, who's just hours of kind of talking talking to Kitty through Final Cut Pro. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, we've had many a late night. On kind of video and Skype and Hangouts, right, Tony, right, just move your, move your curse there, move it there, right, you know, it's, it's like three steps backwards, everyone forward, so a big thank you to Kenny to kind of try to teach us some sort of video editing skills, it's been, it's, it's actually, it's, it's really nice, do you know what I mean, it's, it's really interesting to kind of learn a new program, and especially, like, Ken, I mean, Kenny was the one that kind of, if you remember, flew over to kind of France with us. So he's been doing, this is his day job. He's been doing it for ages. You know what I mean? He's made all the videos for anyways. Any video that's kind of come out, Starship Sova, it's Ken that I've kind of landed it on. So he's, he's been doing some in-depth training as well. Ken, thank you so much. So we'll kick off first with our first little promo. Bye. Dr. Amy H. Sturgis. Tie straight, lads. Girls, come on. Hello, I'm Dr. Amy H. Sturgis, and in the summer of 2015, the stars will be right for me to offer a 12-week international online course entitled Literary Copernicus, the Cosmic Fiction of H.P. Lovecraft for Mythgard Institute at Signum University. This course is available both to graduate students seeking their master's degrees and to interested individuals who wish to audit it simply for the love of the subject. Attendees may join lectures live or download them at their own convenience. MythGuard provides many opportunities for interaction with me and other class members. In tales such as The Call of Cthulhu and At the Mountains of Madness, H.P. Lovecraft, the disciple of Poe and the champion of the weird, pioneered a new kind of fiction. Fueled by an astronomer's insights and an antiquarian's aesthetic, Lovecraft turned his reader's focus from man and his little world and his gods to the stars and the black and unplumbed gulfs of intergalactic space, leading author and critic Fritz Leiber Jr. to dub him a literary Copernicus. More than 75 years after Lovecraft's death, his pathbreaking work is more popular and influential than ever. I hope you will join me as I delve into Lovecraft's stories and the meaning behind them, the shared universe of his mythos, and the lasting impact of his cosmic vision on the contemporary landscapes of literature and popular culture. Please visit MythGuard.org for more information. Thank you. There you go. I have got links on to the kind of the great YouTube video as well. 
And there's class information about Amy's courses. Both links there, top of the page, just under Octagon Technology link as well. So please pop over and just, you know, if you're thinking about doing a course, you know, and want to give yourself a challenge. Who I wish, do you know what I mean? When I was a kid, a blowing failed all kind of sorts. You know, I wasn't very good at all at school. You know what I mean? I didn't fail things. I just didn't achieve things. That's a nice way. That's a nice, actually a nice way. You know, I didn't fail things. I just didn't achieve things. I would have done if I'd had Amy teaching us, man. She just knows so much, man. Knowledge is fantastic. So, links on there to kind of Amy's little course. If you want to give yourself a challenge over the summer, that would be fantastic. So next up, we're going to get into the main fiction, A Foregone Conclusion by Sylvia Spruik Ridley. I'll give you a little heads up about Sylvia. Sylvia writes hardcore aviation articles and soft science fiction stories, but never both at the same time. Born in Mannheim, she spent her formative years in Los Angeles and now splits her time between South Wales and the Costa del Sol, two coastal regions with almost nothing in common. The first book in her aviation series, Why Planes Crash, is available at all good ebook stores. She was nominated for the 2013 Nebula Award for a short story, Alive, Alive, Or. Sylvia's most recent short stories can be found in Daily Science Fiction, Lightspeed, and Nature's Futures. You can find more about her, and I like to say, I'll put a link on to Sylvia's site, intrigue.co.uk. Like I say, this story is narrated by Ian Sewell, a lifelong reading fan. Meant he grew up wanting to be a mad scientist, but ended up doing IT support, which some say has driven driven him mad. Despite his reading and work, he refuses to interact with technology. <laughs> he just can't get any better. The internet and a 10-year-old mobile are as far as he will take it. He also... This is Ian, who's an IT support specialist. You know what I mean? I want the gadgets here. He also refuses to use books. To, oh, sorry, he also refuses to use e-books, consider them to be a work of Beelzebub, along with parsnips. A 13th generation Essex man. Well, there you, that, that explains it there, Ian. That just, there you go. You've explained it. Now we know which, where the level's set, where it, where it, the, the kind of rung on the ladder is. A 13th generation Essex man. He moved as soon as he could and ended up on the other side of London in Berkshire. He is glad to have finally found a use for his big mouth. Ian, that's fantastic. That just made me laugh. Thank you so much. So, so the Starship Sova is very proud to present. A foregone conclusion by Connor and Sylvia Wrigley. Welcome to Kano Station X. The tin voice that had probably gone unchanged for decades blurbled as they drew in for docking. We hope you enjoy your stay. Docking fees will be taken on departure. Trilby tuned out the various rules and regulations, mostly relating to approach procedures and quarantine measures. None of that mattered to the Lilliputian. It carried no salvage. More's the pity. Trilby stretched, his neck cricking slightly. The navigator chair was surely meant for a Saurian, not a Terran, but the vendor had been very persuasive. Trilby tapped the controls for the last stage of the station approach, calculating the necessary thrust to fire. Cano Station X resided fairly close to the frontier, and trade was sparse. They were only here to pick up a few odd parts, 
and then head out to look for salvage work. As the Magnion grippers guided the ship into a docking hold, Trilby looked at his captain for permission to stand down. Captain Defu waved a shimmery hand in assent as he asked Subli, the ship's mechanic, to start the shutdown checklist. Trilby made sure he had the 2,000 credit chit in his pocket, it would be unfortunate if someone found it, and waited at the docking door for the mating process to finish. He took a deep breath of the relatively fresh air pouring in from the station. Now for some fun. Enjoy your stay on Cano. The station recording faded under voices of the techs working on the docking bay. Trilby stepped into the station proper and looked for a boozery. Where there were spacers, there was alcohol, and where there was alcohol, there was gambling. He raced towards the telltale blue sign in the distance with a public message board. No spoking way! Sure there was a King's Hand tournament, but it wasn't starting for another seven hours. They really were in the forsaken backwards of space out here. He tapped the chit in his pocket, licking his teeth nervously. He'd returned the money. He just needed a chance to get back on his feet. A couple of good rounds and he could replace the credits in the commissary before Captain Defu even noticed. He had used the same trick a few times on the Octavian Resolve Corporation, but there it had been much less personal. The company only checked the detailed transaction logs when there was a risk of an audit, and Trilby had always made sure that nothing was amiss by the time that happened. He was the only non-methane on the Dalliance-class salvage ship, in partnership with Captain Defu and Subli, the ship mechanic. The three-man crew made it a lot more personal, although he only joined them because of that run of bad luck on Barzak. Trilby more than overshot the requirements of most ships for a navigator, so he cut a good deal with the methane. He signed into the dispensary for a quick drink to tide him over until tonight's game. The fiery Wukong made him long for the coolness of clear Jovalak, and that in turn put him in the mood for a Xylene special. Then regretfully he backed away. After all, he still had to win back the money. A space was never really out of money. He just ran out of opportunities to keep it. Trilby stumbled slightly as he stepped back into the docking bay, checking the dock number carefully. He'd never quite recovered from that time he'd walked into a ship full of Saurians. That had not been the highlight of his spoking day. His pace slowed as he neared the Lilliputian. Captain Defu was arguing frantically with the dockmaster. Trilby ambled into the range of Defu's angry hiss. Obviously we couldn't have docked without the fees. Check the transfer papers. They probably deduct it twice or something. However, if you don't give us departure clearance before nightfall, we won't be able to pay. The daily rate on this remote outpost is outrageous. Hey, Trilby! The captain waved him over. The dockmaster shrugged. You don't like it? Don't come to Cano. Meanwhile, I'm not clearing your departure until you have the credits. You'll get the credits! Captain Defu solidified as he snarled the words, but once the dockmaster turned away, he faded again. I don't know how we're going to pull this off, he said his breath to Trilby. There's no jobs on this godforsaken station, and the solids have screwed up the paperwork. We can't afford another day! Trilby pulled his fingers away from the chit and forced a grin. I thought we were staying for a few orbits. We were until Subli checked our accounts. He's going to request a transaction log, but right now we're broke. We need to find some work and fast. The blood drained from Trilby's face. If Subli had asked for the logs, it was only a matter of time before the bank updated the records, along with the evidence of Trilby's withdrawal. Trilby was going to have to intercept the bank's response. 
a deep voice broke into the conversation. I might be able to help. The broad-shouldered silicate stepped up to the captain. His armour glittered in the station spotlights. A silicate of some standing, then. Probably not some moss-riddled thug meant to chase Trilby down for walking out on gambling debts. Probably. Trilby kept a smile plastered on his face. Defu scowled. The methane had little tolerance for silicates. We were just leaving. Apparently you aren't. He motioned a fist towards the retreating dockmaster. You have a problem? I have one too. A problem which could be solved with the help of a decent navigator. If you are interested in a salvage job, that is. Defu flickered dubiously, but Trilby wasn't about to let this opportunity pass by. He needed to get off Cano before Subli got the bank data and started asking difficult questions. Once they were in transit, Trilby would be safe until their next docking, when the data transfer would catch up. Right now, that was good enough. Of course we are. The Lilliputian is the answer to all your salvage needs. He smiled and clapped his hand on the silicate shoulder, then winced as his flat palm hit solid rock. He turned his back to the silicate. Easy job, he mouthed at Defu. I'm sure we'd like to hear the details. Right, Captain? Defu shimmered again, but the sight of the dockmaster returning was enough to make up his mind. I guess you might as well come on board, he said. Defu led the way to the bridge. He waved at Subli to stay and sat down in the captain's chair. Trilby hadn't been asked to stay, but neither had Defu told him to leave, so he stood his ground. My name is Rico Linen. The silicate looked around for somewhere to sit and then gave up. My nephews have disappeared, took off in a survey ship. He paced around the bridge. You know how it is. Young veins full of lava. I bought the ship so I feel responsible. Seems like I should do something. My sister is muddy with grief and wants answers. I'm looking for a crew to find out what happened to them. Scan the area, find the ship, bring back the memory foil. I can pay. The captain shimmered. How exactly are we supposed to find them? They were exploring, so there's no flight plan, but I can give you copies of their space charts and the last recorded location. He swung his hands imploringly. Their mother needs to know what happened to them. I can offer local credits or good in trade, whichever you prefer. Trilby's eyebrows perked at the mention of credits, but Defu looked unimpressed. How do you know they're dead? They could be... Or drifting. Or whatever, interrupted Ricolin. I mean, if you can rescue them, that's even better. I'm just trying not to get my hopes up. But Trilby cut Defu off. We can do this. His luck was finally in. The ship reports included wormhole data. Only a corporate navigator would know how to follow the data and understand which wormhole the ship used. Corporate navigators weren't available for private hire. Except for Trilby, of course. Once he left the Octavian Resolve Corps, they couldn't take the training away, no matter how badly they must have wanted to recruit their losses. He flipped through the rest of the reports, then looked up. Could be difficult, Rico he said with a frown. Could take quite some time. Are you paying by the day? Rico Linen rumbled. And watch you park the ship just out of range while you rack up your fees. Defu gave an offended hiss. But this was, of course, exactly what Trilby had hoping to get away with. The silicate continued. I heard you were a gambling man, Trilby. How about a bonus for a fast turnaround? 
Shall we say ten thousand credits if you can get it done in the Geomen? That's just under a solar week on your planet, Dirt. Something approaching a smile crossed Rico Linen's face. Trilby tried to look horrified, hoping the red flush of his ears didn't give him away. It sounded like an insanely short amount of time, but with the wormhole data they could do it. Easy money. He cocked his head and stared at the control tower for a moment, as if considering the deal. You heard right. I like a little flutter, so let's call it double or nothing for half the time. Rico Linning rumbled with laughter. That's a bet I'm happy to take. He looked at the rest of the crew. And eight thousand credits for completing the job at all, should your drunken navigator let you down. I'll sort out the docking fees now. Rico Linning's shoulders were still shaken as he disappeared into the dockmaster's cubicle. It was only after the Lilliputian was leaving that it occurred to Trilby that Rico Linin already knew his name. A grizzled engineer once explained to Trilby how wormholes squished matter down to an infinitely small area, then accelerated it to faster-than-light speeds in a matter of nanoseconds. Ever since then, Trilby had an aversion to wormholes, despite the fact it always come out unsquished at the other end. The ship reached out into the void, searching for anything nearby. Visual intakes absorbed the information as it arrived. The unnamed system was fairly small, with a red dwarf sun and only two planets in orbit. One of them had to be the destination. This looks good to me, Trilby said over the comm. You think this is where the ship came? asked Sibley. They must have been heading for one of the two planets. I'm calling them Tyke 1 and Tyke 2, Trilby plugged in the coordinates. One day down and one and a half to go. He was going to make them all rich. Trilby's sensor cap chirped, adding more detail to the 3D map of his visual cortex. They were the only ones in the local area. The only other point of interest was a medium-sized asteroid belt twirling around the system. Trilby programmed a course to swing around both planets for a closer look. As he checked his plotting, a buzz came over his headphones, some sort of beacon. He barely had time to register it before the grating tones bombarded his ears. Glory to the Xyla! May they bless this transmission! blasted the incoming waves. Before Trilby could turn down his headphones, the message continued. The Vilicus claim this imperfect system in preparation for the return of the gods! Any attempt to interfere here will be punished with the strength of the Xylar, who test you even now. The recorded message looped, but Trilby muted it. Dropping a sensor alert, boy, said Subli. If they're coming this way, we'll get a few minutes warning. Interesting, though. There's no outgoing transmissions. Someone else has already tripped this beacon. Trilby glanced at the captain, wondering if he was going to be told to blow this job and get off before the Vilicus arrived. The captain betrayed nothing at least not that Trilby could pick up. Methane body language wasn't his speciality. As the ship burned into the system, his ear plant chirped. Trilby's attention was drawn back to the 3D map, and a couple of aberrant points highlighted in red. Captain, said Trilby, deciding to go formal for once, a few of the asteroids are on, well, unnatural orbits, to say the least. Subli confirmed Trilby's readings. Their paths are not just unnatural, but unstable. No asteroid should be in orbit like that, unless it was interfered with. Defu waved them off. Unless they're on an impact heading, we have more important things to worry about, he said, and his own eyes focused on the sensor net. Trilby frowned, but didn't argue. An hour passed before they were in scanning range of Tyke 1. Nothing seemed out of order. As they swung by the planet, 
Trilby glanced at his chronometer. They were going to have to find some sign of the ship soon if they were going to make the deadline. As they approached Tyche 2, the now thrice-damned chirp sounded in Trilby's ear. The updated display silenced his cursings. From what he could see, the sensors had scanned the planet and found something very wrong with it. Do you see that? said Trilby. The atmosphere is full of contaminants, but only in this small area. Bent over his screen, Soobly frowned. Analyzing the particulates now. Looks like metal dust, but there's some interesting rare metals out there. An asteroid impact shouldn't throw these quantities of particulates into the air, and the rare metals make no sense, unless they came from a ship. Trilby searched the surface for the sign of a wreck. Instead, he found a large, unnatural heat signatures in a small area of surface, concurrent with something bigger than a ship breaking up in the atmosphere and landing hard. All of this pointed to nothing good. Maybe his plan wasn't quite foolproof after all. The ship's landing lights lit up the rocky valleys filled with scattered debris. Trilby adjusted the sensors and confirmed his suspicion. The area is filled with asteroid shards. Not one big rock, but many of them. He glanced up the night sky, the reflected light on the asteroid belt twinkling in the distance. Why would half a dozen orbiting rocks suddenly break free and attack a planet? None of this made any sense at all. What do you think? Trilby looked at the others. Subly shrugged. No idea. Maybe the ship crashed into the planet after being sucked into the gravity well. Methane curiosity seemed to have deserted Captain Defu ever since they'd heard that villicus beacon. I'm sorry I ever let you talk me into this. He highlighted a sector on the ground display. This area is full of refined metal. Let's just find the ship, grab the memory file and get out of here before things get solid. Trilby wasn't going to argue. They were cutting it fine as it was. But the whole scene sure seemed a bad hand. He shook the asteroids out of his head and belted up for landing. Suited and hiking across the rocky planet, Trilby's concerns did not abate. The methane crew's glow shimmered off the jagged peaks. Even in this low light, there was no doubt that the craters were new. One teardrop crater held the remains of a small cargo vessel. Take a look at this, Subli pointed at the wreck. The nose of the sturdy little ship was crumpled accordion style where it had impacted against the white rock of the cliff. Trilby shrugged. Crash landed. The right engine exhaust is crushed, chimed in Dufu, and the vertical stabiliser is sheared straight off. You telling me that this crash landed both sides? Trilby couldn't make any sense of it. The ship crashed twice? Subli pulsed impatiently. This spaceship was a wreck before it ever hit the ground. He examined the engine exhaust and poked around the cracked stabiliser support with a sensor wand. Rock and nickel, Subli commented as he pushed a sliver from out of the sheared metal. They must have been blasting asteroids out of orbit and gotten too close. They knocked an asteroid right into their own ship. Idiots. Trilby scanned the area. Subli and Defu pulled the crew from the cockpit. Two young silicates, or what remained of them. One wore a gemstone necklace, a lover's gift. More than just his mother missing him then. Trilby paced away, unable to watch. From the high ground he could see that most of the craters were centred around a single broad hill. He peered into the darkness. The hill was rounded, noticeably out of place on the jagged cliffs. It definitely wasn't natural. A burial site? Trilby thought over Rico's words again. Young boys, looking for adventure. How he felt responsible because he paid for the ship. 
but Rico had asked for the flight memory file, not for a rescue, not for the boys or their things. The flight memory file would tell him where they'd been and what they'd found. Trilby switched on his comm. We were set up. Heartbroken Uncle Rico doesn't care about those boys. He wanted whatever treasure is hidden in that hill. He switched on his transponder to show his routing to the others. Ignoring his captain's irate hissing, he ran towards the rounded hill. There is something down there, he shouted. Something in that hill is so important, the silicates were willing to break this entire planet into pieces to get it. Difu was still hissing through his ear plant when Trilby spotted it. A telltale crack in the side of the hill. It was hollow inside. Subli was right, he hollered over the comp. They couldn't excavate it, so they decided to throw asteroids at it. Precision was clearly not a priority. They must have been in a hurry. But why? A little part of Trilby was impressed with the utter force with which they had decided to break into the hill. Out here in the middle of nowhere, there was only one treasure worth hiding. It had to be an artefact, because there was nothing else that made sense. The comms chatter broke into his thought. Trilby! I found that... Subli was cut off by Captain Defu. Throw asteroids at what? What are you talking about? Trilby resisted the temptation to get on his hands and knees and start digging. Listen, both of you. We can use the lithium lasers to break through right here. We'll shove it into protected storage and bring it home, ready to sell to the highest bidder. Trilby felt breathless. A Zykeslar artifact. That was better than the galaxy straight in King's hand. A spacer could retire with a winning hand like that. Trilby loved a happy ending. Shove what into storage, Trilby? Get back here this minute! shouted the captain. Trilby tried again to explain to Captain Defu, who was suddenly, and for no apparent reason, was acting as stupid as a Saurian. A wailing alarm sounded in his ear set, and Trilby went silent. There was no point in saying anything. They all knew what this meant. The Vilicus had arrived. Glory to the Zyklar! May they bless this transmission! The ship! Trilby shouted over the comm, trying to get his message through the emergency channel, which the Vilicus had not yet blocked. Run to the ship! The methanes flared in the distance. Trilby ran, and there was no time for discussion. The detonation of your cleansing shall commence at the allotted soul contemplation period! It is time for you to make your peace with the masters! There was no way to discuss over the broadcast which declared that the intruders would be given the religious ceremony of their choice before detonation. The three raced the Lilliputian in record time and tumbled onto the main deck. Trilby punched in the coordinates of Tyche 1, anything to get them up and away fast. Defu oscillated in confusion. That's a tactical response fleet. It'll be four or five warships. We can't outrun that. We don't need to, said Trilby, as he launched them into the air. No way could they get here this quickly, even if that beacon triggered something, which it didn't. They aren't after us. The other ship must have tripped the beacon, and it's down there waiting for them. No Vilicus warship ever wasted breath on reconnaissance. They just swooped straight in for the kill. He turned towards the captain. They don't even know we're here, and they won't, if we get out of here as spoken quickly as we can. As they pulled away from the fleet, he took a deep breath and began to root them properly. He then glanced at the countdown. Well, we would have made the bet. We got just over a day to get back to Kano. I guess there's no point now. Defu blinked. There isn't? He didn't want his nephews. He wanted to know what they found. They were chasing after an artefact. What else could it be? 
All he wanted was their location so he could get it for himself. That silicate had tricked them good. Rico must have checked them out beforehand. No one else could have got here faster than we did, but it wasn't fast enough. That's not what he asked for, though, said the captain. He only asked for the flight memory foil. Yeah, if we had delivered it, he would have paid up. No need to mention the Villicus were on the scene. Shame we didn't have just one more hour. Subly raised a glowing hand. It was in the fluorescent orange container that every spacer knew to recognise. Trilby's jaw dropped. You found the memory foil? I was trying to tell you when you kept shouting about the hill. We got it. Trilby wished he could sparkle to show Subly just how happy he was right now. They'd done it. Right, let's head back to Cano and deliver the goods. He plugged the wormhole coordinates in. Prepare for squishing in five, four, three. He grimmed at the captain. See? Told you it was an easy job. If light could kill, Defu's glare could have wiped out a planet. As they approached the station, Trilby switched to the incoming data display. There it was, the transaction log. He swiftly deleted the credit reference and swapped it back to the navigation HUD before anyone noticed. Welcome to Cano Station X. It really had been an easy job. Once they delivered the flight memory file, they'd have some cash to play with and Trilby could clear his debts. Meanwhile, there was a Zykeslar artifact gathering dust on Tyche too. That warfleet had no means to recover it. They might not even realise it was there. Trilby just needed to convince the good old Captain Defu that it was worth going after. Going against the Villicus? Well, that would be the biggest gamble of his life. Trilby smiled as the Magnion grippers took hold of the ship. Game on. <laughs> There you go. Big thank you to Sylvia and Ian. Thank you so much as well. So, don't forget, this show is sponsored by Octagon Technology. Octagon Technology can help and supply hosted exchange and manage backup services for other IT companies to resell. 1995 to 2015, helping businesses with their IT problems. If you work in Penzance or Wick. San Francisco or Johannesburg, then our hosted exchange service, Octagon Technology, is for you. There you go, all over the world. How cool is that? Big thank you, Diane and Clive. So next up is another little bit of fiction by Sylvia Spurk Ridley. It is called Moon Cup, and like I say, it is narrated by our very own Diane Severson from Portry Planet. So... The Starship Sova is very proud to present. Space travel loses its allure when you've lost your moon cup. By Sylvia Spruck Wrigley. Zero G and three light years from the nearest drugstore is a shitty time to realize you left your spare moon cup at the space station. Tonight, I lost mine to the relief tube. The stuffy musk and lemon smell of the hold was invaded by the sharp tang of blood. I was half asleep, trying to empty it without fuss in the dark. The relief tube suction was just strong enough to whisk the cup out of my still-asleep slick fingers. When I was dreaming about escaping to the stars, it was all about adventure. No one talked about the shit and the blood. A year's supply of toilet paper and tampons just won't fit in the hold, and wet tissues are under strict control. 
two tissues a day. I'd give up everything I owned in return for double rations of wet tissues. Well, if I hadn't abandoned everything already. I went through my drawer and discovered my spare was MIA. So now I had a problem that no adult woman really wants to think about. Under the circumstances, I ripped up a faded t-shirt and made a makeshift pad to get me through the night. I strapped myself back into my bunk to work out what I was going to do. I considered declaring an emergency. Mayday! I'm on the rag! It was seven months to Barnard's, and the t-shirt was only XS with short sleeves. I wasn't going to make it without backup. On the other hand, I'd never get a second chance to head out to the frontier if I turned this cargo ship around. That left one option. Beg Sumina. I met Sumina at the space station before we boarded. We were both headed to the asteroid colonies. I was half drunk when I signed up. Sumina was serious about it. She studied for like a year before the launch. I didn't see much point in making friends. Thing is, I knew she had birth control pills. A large amount of birth control pills to distribute at the mining colonies. In the dark... I worked out that if she'd give me 212 of them, I could make it to Barnard's without a drip. The problem was how to convince her to give them to me. She was the most straight-laced feminist I'd ever met, with a moral compass that never deviated from straight to heaven. A volunteer with the Artemis Foundation, she was there to support women in space without access to community or sex education. My plan was to make loads of cash and get laid— we didn't have a lot in common. When the daylights came on, I went to her bunk to grovel. I'll do anything you want. What's the worst she could ask? We could be friends, she said. I stared at her like a rabbit in the headlights. You can't do that, I stuttered. Hand out supplies to your friends? There must be some rule against that, right? Her face fell, and I felt bad. I mean, I just think... My words trailed off uselessly. Yeah, you're right. Stupid idea. Let's just make it a fair trade. Your entire ration of chocolate. Done. And ten packs of wet tissues. I groaned. Oh, man, Sumina. And you have to hand over your music files and promise me that you'll never sing Gloria Gaynor again. That stung. I almost said to hell with it. Then I thought about the next seven months and sighed, Okay. So it wasn't hard to tempt Eve with the apple after all. I was almost a little disappointed. I pulled out the chocolate and tissues and the player from my drawer. Everything I owned. She went to her drawer, but she didn't get the tablets. Instead, she pulled out a bright yellow cosmetics bag. Inside it was my sister's photo, a spare toothbrush, and the moon cup. I found it when we left the station, she said. You were too hungover to function, so I thought I'd better check your room. She tossed it to me. And you didn't tell me? I lunged for the music player, but she was quicker. No way, we had a deal. This is how you support womankind? She nodded. Absolutely. You sing like a wounded goat. The fewer people who hear you ruin that song, the better. I laughed despite myself. She shoved my chocolate into her drawer, and I had to give up my luxury ration to fit the bag in. She unbuckled herself and drifted toward the floor. 
I thought we might end up friends. Who's the girl? She meant the photograph. My little sister. I haven't seen her in ten years. Why not? I ran away when I was thirteen. Never been back. The words escaped before I had a chance to shut myself up. Sumina patted my shoulder. Didn't say anything stupid. Anyway, thanks for the bag. No problem. She took a deep breath and pulled herself in front of me. Why can't we be friends? I... I didn't have an answer. Finally, I shrugged and put my hand out. Fine. Deal. If you'll give me 50% of the chocolate back. She grinned and shook on it. Deal. I finally got the hell out of there. If she thought the handshake meant something special, then, well, that was her problem. I just wanted my chocolate back. I pulled myself to the back room to incinerate the remains of my t-shirt. I figured I'd head back to Sumina's bunk after lunch and we could share some chocolate. Maybe listen to a track or two. I heard her shout my name and realized I was humming. Humming is still allowed, I shouted. Sumina's laugh echoed through the hold and I found myself smiling again. Hell, it was only for seven months, right? Maybe having a friend wouldn't be so bad after all. There you go, don't forget, copyright is Sylvia. Sylvia, thank you so much for two stories. That's brilliant. And Diane, Diane, man, what a voice, man. You keep forgetting how good Diane is narrating. Diane, just amazing. Thank you so much. Like I say, there's links on to Sylvia's site, and I put a link on to Diane's site as well. Pop over there and say hello to Diane. She's doing a fabulous job. So we've got one last little promo, and it is just as important as everything else. This Burning World by good friend Jeff Lane. College student Jim Hunt took his first steps into the ongoing battle between good and evil, champions and spoilers in this paper world. Now he's back, receiving training and testing the limits of his abilities and powers. When a personal tragedy strikes, Jim sets off on a countrywide search for vengeance. Internationally acclaimed author Jeff Lane brings you the next installment of his champion saga, This Burning World. Available as an ebook at Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, or other ebook retailers, and as an audiobook podcast on iTunes and JeffLaneAudiobooks.com. Will Jim's desire for revenge bring him the satisfaction he seeks, or will it lead him into a trap? This Burning World. Jeff, sir, I would put a link on to that little link. <laughs> link on that little link. Do pop over there. Jeff, thank you so much. And check out that book as well. Like I say, Jeff's been a great support of the show and a great narrator. And he's mad fooled. He's offered to narrate again as well. So look forward to dulcet tones of Jeff doing some fine narrations for Starship Sofa. Jeff, good luck with that, sir. Good luck all the way. So that is the end of show 381. Like I say, lots to kind of take in there. Please pop over to the people I've mentioned, Amy and Jeff and myself. Yes, another little plug for the YouTube. Hopefully by the time you can listen to this, we have the first episode on that channel there now. And like I say, I'm going to be throwing all, not all my energies, but quite a lot. You know, just kind of throw myself into the YouTube. And it's just a great way of kind of, getting back into kind of you know make me feel good to be quite not 
because I wanted to see me face, but just to talk about, you know, the things that I love, you know what I mean? Talk about the kind of classic writers, the Philip K. Dix, the Alfred Bestas, you know, all them kind of writers, all their short stories, and throwing in a few quirky ones. Like I say, the first one is my take on the best ever short story and i want you to kind of comment in there as well at youtube just to kind of put your you know i might have missed something you know what i mean yeah i've read a kind of few stories but i'm certainly haven't read every story so there might be something over there that i've missed do you know what i mean so and like you see you can i only want to kind of do these so they're like five to ten minutes long I think this one actually comes out at nine minutes long as well. And I've got my good friend Nick Cam is helping out as well. So it's just kind of, you know, you can watch it on your phone just to kind of delve into that kind of, into the science fiction world of like a forgotten times and just have a good laugh. Do you know what I mean? Just make me feel good. That's all I'm doing it for. So until next week, I would just like to say good night from me. survive this terrible ordeal? Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape without completely compromising their honor and artistic judgment? Tune in next week for the next exciting installment of Starship Sofa. Evacuation procedure initiated. Shuttle set for launch. Airlock will be opened in three, two, one. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.